welcome. Um, thank you, Jenny, for that intro. Um, for yeah, those of you just tuning in, I am a member here at Christ First. I occasionally speak for uh, the women's events. Um, I just wanted to give you a warning. I'm also expecting, and I'm in my third trimester. So if there are any moms do soon, feel free to give a little wave on the chat platform. And so I'm out of breath, not because I'm ill, but because my baby is taking up most of the space that is usually taken up by my lungs. And she's officially kicked out all my organs to some other place. Um, and also, I'm, uh, if you're wondering where my accent is from, I am American, which is why you hear this. Um, and I am married with one three-nager, which means a three-year-old who thinks she's a teenager. Um, and I don't know why I'm telling you all this, but maybe some of you can find me a bit more relatable or whatnot. But anyway, um, so in my work, I have the absolute honor and luxury of journeying with people to the places in their hearts that um, need healing and understanding. And it's often a place where one alumni even described it as a place only that Jesus has seen, really. But it doesn't happen unless they open up to me and invite me in. So I pray that tonight you will invite your hearts to the Holy Spirit and walk with him. The only difference is that you will recognize he is there and that Jesus has been walking with you in that place all this time. He knows it. You just need to know it. So let's just enter a time of prayer and then I'll get us started. God, help us to trust you more deeply as we engage in your word. Spirit, speak to us the God, the Father's thoughts. And in this pandemic, God, I believe you are inviting us to build our lives on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. God, you are good and in control. Help us to see your joy and desire for us to have faith in the unseen. In Jesus' name, amen. So during this global pandemic of the coronavirus, um, people's worlds are being shaken, right? Security is being threatened in every sense, financial, physical, health, future. There's nothing that's been proven to fully protect us or even prevent us from having this coronavirus except self-isolation. And even then, we're not really free from contamination. I think this is a time more than ever for us living in this time to really ask where we are putting our security, faith, and hope, or rather who. Um, when Jenny and I sat down last year to talk about future Excel ministry talks, neither of us had any idea this was coming. Um, you know, Jenny, who has just um, introduced me now, she leads our women's ministry and she's always praying for what God wants to say to us next. And earlier this year, she mentioned, you know, you know, I think it's about faith, you know, and I, and I received similar conviction. You know, we, we just thought, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll talk on this. And I think it's a good reminder for those of us who were at the last one. Um, I talked about walking by faith and really examining what we were thinking. And I think it's a good uh, same points for us to remember today as we look at uh, walking in faith and not um, and having faith in the unseen, right? Because really when we look all around us, there's a lot of despair. There's loss of literal lives amongst us, loss of normal life events, loss of hope. 
And there's little evidence that this is going away anytime soon. And perhaps for some of us, this has been the only opportunity to walk by faith in a long time. Because to be honest, maybe you're in control of your life. And for a long time, have always had what you wanted or needed. There was really no need for God. So some of us here coming tonight, I know that maybe some of you have already faced coronavirus. You've lost something or someone that you really love. Maybe you've lost your job. You've lost your community. And you're wondering, how do I define faith in such a time as this? And I want to start by saying Jesus was fully human. He, he knows the type of emotions that we feel and the experiences we have. He knows that sometimes time here on earth isn't that great. He left his perfect father. He left his perfect kingdom, his riches to become poor and to live to serve us. And then he died like a criminal on a cross when he did nothing wrong. Right? It says in Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet. He did not sin. He knows what it's like to live life as fully human, to be limited and live in a broken world. And so tonight, I really feel convicted that all of us, you know, can come and hear about walking by faith, not by sight. And so I just want to read the verse that we're going through, which is 2 Corinthians 5 six and seven so if you have your bibles with you if you could just open up to that i'll give you a moment to open up okay so second corinthians five six seven says so we are always of good courage we know that while we are at home in the body we are away from the lord for you walk by faith, not by sight. One of the reasons I, I also wanted to talk on this verse is because I think this verse is one of the most misused verses in the Bible. And I'll start off with, um, you know, some of what it might not mean and how I've heard it used. Um, you know, sometimes we, we do our own planning and we say, you know, I'm going to make this decision. So God, you, you know, you bless it after I do this. Right. And it's a bit lazy planning and their plan comes first before God's plan. And they say, oh, I'm, I'm going to walk by faith, not by sight. Or, you know, I, I just had this gut feeling, um, you know, it doesn't really matter what, what scripture says or, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, I'll look at that later. Um, but I think it's really important to look at what this verse means in light of its context. Right. So if you look at the central theme of 2 Corinthians is the relationship between suffering and the power of the Holy Spirit in Paul's life slash ministry. I think that's quite apt in this pandemic, although it's slightly different because it's more about Paul's ministry. But, you know, we can kind of relate to this whole theme. So let's look at the background of it. Right. So. The people in the Corinth church, a lot of them basically felt that Paul was suffering too much to be an apostle of Jesus. Basically, the idea that, well, you know, if you were really an apostle of Jesus, you wouldn't be suffering that much, right? And then these um, 
other people that Paul liked to call super apostles came in saying, oh, like, you know, he's not that impressive. And people were kind of looking at the visible things of these super apostles. They were more polished. Uh, They're maybe better speakers. And, you know, they didn't suffer as much. Maybe they, you know, financially, they were a bit better off. And so they were tempted by this. And eventually they rejected Paul and his teaching. And if we kind of look at that in modern days, kind of like the prosperity gospel, you know, fancy car, fancy house, you know, nice clothes, always looking presentable. And if you do this for God, he you know, blesses you with all this materialism. These are not bad things. However, we'll get to what Paul, what Paul is saying and why this is coming up. So long story short, um, Paul then visits the Corinth church and he leaves saddened by what's happening there. He's, and then he follows that up with a letter saying to the Corinth church, hey, listen, you know, um, he tells them in love, repent. You know, this is not right. You know, you, you're not seeing the things of Jesus, right? Um, and he's saying this out of love, um, not out of, you know, like, I don't know, pettiness or anything like that. Um, and majority of them realize this and they actually repent because what Paul is basically saying is that when you reject me, you're rejecting Christ and you're rejecting his teaching, right? And so this, this verse comes in the theme of that where he is encouraging the church, the majority of them who have repented and saying, live by the unseen, right? So I want you to see this verse in, in the context of this, right? Um, and see as a strength, as an encouragement. So what is faith in the unseen, right? So it's looking forward to things that are kingdom-minded, eternal perspective of God, because God's not bound by time. You know, we, we often try to put him in this, in this box, right? Um, but he created time himself. And it's having, as scripture tells us, this assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, right? This is faith, according to the book of Hebrews. Faith involves trust. It's not just, you know, um, believing. So, you know, this is faith. And sometimes I think faith, we can grow used to it. And like, it becomes a bit predictable. But when it becomes predictable, we've kind of lost the meaning of faith. You know, if we look at Abraham and Sarah, they didn't know where they were going, yet they set out on this journey, not perfectly, but they did in faith. Sometimes we forget about the element of risk involved in having faith. Right? And I think right now is a great time for us to really examine what kind of God do we believe in? You know, the Corinthians had to face this question. Do they believe in a God where there's no suffering? It's all loftiness, wealth, etc. Or does Jesus who came on this lowly donkey died on the cross like a criminal? Faith is not simply about following rules, Faith is hope in the God who cannot be contained and, you know, we cannot follow just by following, fulfilling the law. And Paul knew this very well because he knew his Old Testament very well, right? 
So I want you to see this in the context of this. And I want you to constantly think about, you know, where does your knowledge or expectation of Jesus come from? Because that's where we will put our faith in. Seeing in the verse seven, um, Marion was sharing with me yesterday that in Greek here means appearance. And there's things we do not see face to face. They are of heavenly things. And sometimes things we find security in can appear secure, but it is not. And usually these are earthly things, good things, but things that have become idols. This pandemic could be a time where our idols are revealed. In what ways are we presenting like the Corinth church? Maybe some of us haven't, you know, in his face rejected Jesus, but how do we live our life that actually rejects Jesus? You know, God will always destroy our idols or whatever we put our trust and security in because he loves us. You know, when uh, my daughter Mika does something that is bad for her, um, I would try to explain it to her, but because she's three, it's a bit of a challenge. And, um, you know, if she keeps up doing it, I will take it away from her. And the thing with idols is, though, is that oftentimes there are good things turned into worship things. And as Tim Keller says, when we make things or people to be what they were not created to be, it eventually breaks down and we see the truth of it. For some of us, this time of pandemic can actually result in new, redeemed life. It's, it might be a blessing, a time for us to examine. Is God, you know, calling you out on some idols you've had or the reasons you thought were completely valid for not having faith in God or spending time in his word? And don't get me wrong, this is not to shame anyone. Jesus did not come for this. He did not come to condemn anyone but all in the name of love, just like Paul is doing to the Corinth church. He's saying it in love, right? Because what doesn't break us now, if that's not the purpose of whatever, whoever you worship, if that's not the purpose, then it will eventually, most of all, most of it will take our faith away. Um, I found this on some random articles reading um, while preparing for this and someone tweeted this and I thought it was a really apt question. And he said, what if God in his strange providence is downshifting the church into a mode of simplicity, stripped of non-essentials, renewed in his fundamental identity as a people of God? What if God is doing this with us in our faith? And what if this time is actually helping us to rid the things that may have been attracting us to God or showing itself as faith in God, but really not about God at all? I think this is a good time to look at a few different kinds of faith that may exist. And there's lots of examples of it, but I'm just going to highlight a few. If we as Christians have this idea that Christian life, is this amazing, comfortable life. I'm not sure where that narrative comes from. If some of us have this social faith, you know, faith where we're looking at earthly relationships, they determine how we see God. If church was about just meeting friends, and of course God wants, you know, to meet you in your loneliness and wants you to have friends. But if 
that's all that church is about and Sundays have become, maybe it's time we question that. If it's a transactional faith, you know, faith is based on, well, it will, what will it cost me? Or how will it benefit me on this earth? You know, you give me this, God, and I will give you my faith. If it's about that transaction, well, let me tell you, it, it didn't start off very even because Jesus died on the cross. And I don't think that was a fair transaction because he didn't deserve any of that. He took it for us. Sometimes we think our holy living is supposed to manipulate the hands of God. You know, if some of us are extra holy, we might. And I say, I fast on a Tuesday and I fast for a week because I really need God to do this for me, right? So we make this transaction with God as if, God, I did this for you. You better answer my, my prayer, right? It doesn't work like that. Maybe it's become about circumstances, about comfort. I know this one very well because um, comfort is one of, I think, my idols. Um, so, you know, I planned my whole life since I was like four to go into medicine because I love the medical world. Apparently, I was the only kid who used to get super excited about going to a doctor or dentist, and my mom thought I was this really odd kid. And it just fascinated me. I love the healing part, just not so much the organic chemistry part in uni, but anyway. Um, but one of the perks that comes along with being in medicine in America is financial comfort. It wasn't my main reason, but it was just an extra perk I would have. So I never really planned to struggle financially when I was an adult. Um, before Simon, my husband, uh, popped the question, uh, you know, we would have conversations about marriage and I, I always said, you know what? I don't need the best of the best. I don't need to be rich. I just need to be comfortable. I just need to be able to pay off bills every month and I'm good, right? So when God calls me to finally shut the door in medicine and calls me into Bible college as a poor newlywed, you can imagine how that rocked my world. Um, but I was pretty excited for Bible college. Um, but what happened here was God was asking me to fully give up my comforts. I thought in my plans, I thought, oh, okay, you know what? I will uh, work part-time and I will study part-time. It will all work out. And God was saying, no, <laughs> Erica, I'm gonna teach you how to depend on others and depend on me and trust that I will open the doors for you. And now this comes really hard to a person who hates asking people for help because I don't like being a burden onto other people. But that's what exactly what he did. And he took that comfort away from me. And even, I believe, like weeks or a week before my first tuition payment was due, I had no idea where this money was going to come from. Until a couple of, you know, our, our friends um, tell us that actually God had told us last year to save 
the certain amount for somebody and we had no idea who that was but now we see that that was for you this was a year before I started Bible college they didn't know I was going to start Bible college a year later and God kept answering through situations like that and he took this idol away from me because he loves me I think we have to examine what we're thinking when we, you know, think about the unseen. Because it's so easy to just look at what we see, you know. You know, how many of us have this mentality towards God when God doesn't deliver? Suddenly your faith changes, right? Um, Mika has been having way too much screen time during this uh, lockdown period. And, you know, she's been, like, obsessed with, like, Lion King stuff. And uh, in one of the episodes, the, the child lion, whatever, the, the cub, tells the father, you know, why don't you love me? And clearly she picked this up because one night we were like, Mika's dinner time comes to the table. And she was like, no, you know, she wants to carry on watching. And we were like, no, 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 it's dinner time. And she looks at me and says, mommy, why don't you love me? <laughs> and I didn't know whether to laugh or get upset. But how many of us are like this with God? Right? When God doesn't deliver, we suddenly think, God, why don't you love me? I did all this for you. Right? For some of us, it might be naive, like my three-year-old, truly believing that maybe I don't love her if I don't give this to her. Or maybe some of us are a bit manipulative with God and saying, God, I'm going to make sure you do this for me. And we know really the impact of what we're saying. It's important to look at this unseen faith that Paul is talking about. Because if we keep looking to the things that we see, essentially what we're saying is that this earthly thing is a best that there is for me and some of us have given up because our circumstances has overwhelmed us the world has tempted us i think a good example for us women is you know after you know we get engaged we get married we all seem to want a house at some point, right? And something that occurred to me the other day was Abraham, well, Sarah, Sarah, um, never owned property. I mean, because she was a woman back then, she couldn't. But um, Abraham, her husband, never owned property in his whole life. And they lived in tents. And I don't think that was equivalent of a three-bedroom house back then, right? And later on in Genesis, it tells us that he buys this plot of land. The only time he's bought it was to bury his dead wife. Abraham understood that the things around him was not eternal. He was looking to something else that was eternal. Things that were not seen right? Because he truly believed his treasure was not here. 
But how many of us keep feeding our time, our energy, our money, our relationships even? How many of us are sacrificing these things to these earthly things that are seen when our heavenly home is in heaven with God? So these non-eternal things, they, they keep the focus always on me, right? For those of us suffering, I know this can be hard to take in. God can be using this time to strengthen our relationship with him because he loves you. And it's not to punish you, right? It's a great time to ask, by whose standards am I operating or have been operating, right? Satan told God that Job would stop loving him and being obedient to him once his good life was taken away from him. His property, work, family, health, mental well-being, it was all stripped from him. And, you know, Job said pretty crazy things along the way. But in the end, he chose God. He still believed that God was worth more than all his losses. He realizes that God, that he is finite and that God is infinite. And his friends don't help him by giving him this pretty rubbish, wrong theology saying that God is punishing him. But how many of us fall into that thinking when things don't go well? We think, oh, God must be punishing me. So what does the unseen look like, right? Unseen are these eternal things. It's a kingdom perspective. None of us have seen really Jesus face to face. But neither did Abraham. Yet he was looking forward to the city where the architect is God. Is this the case for us? Can we say it doesn't matter where we go or where we will be as long as I'm confident that the Lord goes before me and I'm confident God is there with me? You know? Is it the same as Paul when he's being rejected by the church that he started? You know, they're rejecting him and his teachings. And yet he's saying, no, that, you know, that's not what it's about, you know? It's about Jesus. It's about the things we do not see in this earth. It's not about these worldly things. It's about heavenly things. And then we have to stop to think then, where does my understanding and knowledge of God come from? Is it based on scripture or is it based on what we impose on God based on our life experiences and maybe someone else's life? Seeing the unseen is believing that God is sovereign and that he's in control of everything that is going on right now, even though it may not feel like it is to us because we're limited in what we know and who we are. You know, Luke eleven thirteen says, if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God is a good God. 2 Timothy 2.13 tells us he is faithful to his own cause. He loves us so much. He sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. John 3.16. But he did not stay dead. I remember when I was in uni, um, I was in the library. And uh, this is back in the States. And I was sitting across this Muslim lady, uh, another student. Uh, I had my Bible with me. And... 
I can't remember if I was reading it or not, but I remember it was in my hands. And she asked me this question and she said, can I ask you something? And she's like, you know, if Jesus is God, why did he die? And we had this conversation. And in the end, the main point of it, I told her was, well, yes, he, he did die on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. He, he resurrected. He won victory over death. Jesus is alive. And as my daughter would say, she goes, Jesus in heaven, Jesus in heaven. And she said, I've never heard that before. And now the focus is not on me telling her this, but it's that some of us don't realize the victory over death that Jesus has. So I won't spend all night quoting scripture to you guys, but um, I pray that you would leave tonight anticipating meeting the Holy Spirit in your time in his word. Ask God to open your eyes that you can see like Paul, right? I want you to also spend time to think, is it actually time to repent? You know, one of the reasons Paul wrote this was also to get the minority of the rebellious group to repent. And, you know, maybe some of you are wondering, what, what is repentance? Repentance is, you know, change of heart and mind that impacts every area of our life. And I'm not just talking about one or two areas or just with this relationship, with that other relationship. It impacts every relationship. It changes everything. Right? But we can only repent if we take the time to examine our thoughts. Last year, I gave a talk on loving God with our mind, um, and I challenged us all during, and I challenge us all during this emotional pandemic to really examine what we have been believing, and are we treasuring Jesus more than what we see on this earth? And one sign of this will be when you find something really great, you can't help but share it with everyone around you, right? I mean, think about the last time you found something really great. You probably shared it all across your social media. You called your friends, you, you, know, you messaged them, you, you told them, you told your neighbors. It's the same. When God doesn't do what you think he should be doing, look at what you're believing. Challenge, where did I get that belief? What does the word say? Does it reflect Jesus's character? It might not look like what you thought, but then again, you're not God. And what if, just what if God is ripping out what is toxic in us? When he doesn't serve you, how do you react to that? Do we, is there space for repentance here? There is a gospel that is stronger than our doubts and our uncertainties. You know, because of my work in counseling, I um, often see this pattern. And uh, if you share something with me recently, I'm sorry, it's not about you. <laughs> you might do this yourself, but it's not about you. Um, but, it's, you know, it's something that I do as well. Many of us carry fears of something, anxiety about something. Um, but our fears and anxieties are so big that it almost becomes a definite, 
like we become fortune tellers all of a sudden or we become like people who can will things into happen um to happening and you know we rearrange our whole life because this thing that we fear is going to happen and when we do this we're basically declaring that we are putting our energy into this because it will happen essentially we're saying that i can put into existence this reality because i'm more powerful than god now if we ask ourselves that or the sister next to us no one's going to say amen to it or at least not loud we'll deny it because we we know somewhere that we're not more powerful than god yet our actions say this, our decisions say this, where we put our money says this, where we spend our time says this. They all declare it, right? The time we're going through now, you know, we see corporations that have been standing for decades falling, economic systems failing, families that are breaking apart, struggling, our bodies are failing. We're limited in what we can do from this one virus. I hope that it can remind us that we're limited and that all things we find security in one day will pass and only Christ will stand, the unseen. God is the creator, not created. It's not to be confused and we cannot try to impose human values and creative processes onto the creator, but often we do. And we have to ask ourselves, do we believe genuinely that what the Lord offers is of greater value than what you have? There's this quote by C.S. Lewis that I used to have as my email signature for years. And it, it, you guys probably have heard of it many times before in other sermons. Um, and C.S. Lewis says this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Is that us? So how can we move forward in, in faith in the unseen, right? One is choosing. You can either live by faith or by sight. It can be an opportunity for us to refresh our hope and believe what we cannot see in sight. It's an opportunity to examine and review our beliefs. You know, in, in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. 
Now, I know Paul is light in momentary troubles, but he's not trying to minimize what you are going through if you're going through suffering because in 2 Corinthians 1, he talks about going through some crazy stuff and so much so that he despaired life itself, right? Satan does all he can to blind the minds of unbelievers to keep us from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is image of God. That's the word of Paul, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Our soul will live on forever. Our bodies may not. It may fail us. But God is forever. What we see now is temporary. And I encourage us and challenge us to look for eternal things. His word is power for us and security for us today, not just tomorrow. Right? In Hebrews 11, it talks about all these people that were still living by faith when they died. He died, they died in faith. Will we? Regardless of what's happening right now with this pandemic, you know, with this whole toilet tissue and food hoarding, you know, one thing I realized is that people really want to live almost at the expense of others. But if our time came, would the Lord find us living in faith? And I just want to give a bit of reality. It's not always going to turn out for the best, right? It's not always going to look like what we had hoped it would look like. Uh, I had this friend who one day, he, he's a pastor now, and he said something that really struck me. It has stayed with me for all these years. And uh, he said, you know what? I was thinking the other day, and I realized it's been a long time since I've been persecuted for my faith. Now, when you're in uni, uni, you don't really hear things like this. And I was like, what are you talking about? Um, but he was referring to a time when he spent a lot of time with his non-believing friends. And they would mock him during this time when he was really finding Jesus. They would laugh at him. They were still friends, but they would laugh at him. think he was being really silly and over the top. And over time, he started spending more and more time with believer friends. And he grew comfortable. And it had been a long time since he had spent time with those other old friends who didn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Sometimes God might call us to uncomfortable places. Sometimes God will not give us details in the unseen because he wants to build our faith for our own good. And so I wrap this up and saying, this is faith in the unseen. It's not just blindly walking. It's saying, who do I know Jesus to be? Who do I know, you know, God the Father to be? Do I believe the Holy Spirit is present here, even though I cannot see it? I challenge us to think about where we get our beliefs. And is that playing more authority, does that hold more authority than his word? I'll end this in prayer. Um, Jenny will come on after I pray. 
and she will explain a bit more on the breakout groups. Um, I just want to spend this time in prayer. I'm just going to shut off my video, but I will pray and then Jenny, I'll hand it over to Jenny. Lord, help us as we go back to our daily routines to trust in you that you are a God of impossibilities. May we know you who sent your only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. May we know that you understand the risk of faith. We pray for hope in the unseen. Thank you that you, Jesus, you suffered. You've been through isolation. You've died. You came to a sick world all because you love us and also that we can have a relationship with you, God the Father, again. I pray, Lord, that the ladies that have shown up tonight, that we can speak the same words of Jeremiah. Your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. I pray that this would be for every woman present tonight and that this would radiate from them into the hearts of their family members, their friendships, and every relationship that they have. May your spirit move powerfully through every woman's household that no person can deny your presence and power mightily moving despite what we see on our TV, our phones, our computers, or even just outside our windows. Even when things outside seem silent, we pray that we would trust that you are moving even though we cannot see it. We pray that what you say will bring the ultimate security and hope to us. We know that there will be a time for us to re-enter the world with our strength and faith in the unseen, to be exercised relationally again. May we continue to trust you then and daily now. May we have faith in your word in the wake of this crisis. I pray that as a church, we would be more resilient and durable and that we would have renewed dependence on you, Jesus Christ. Though our world speaks of death in the hundreds in many countries each day, may we remember you, Jesus, especially as we are only two weeks post-Easter. May we remember death does not win final victory. You rose from the dead and we can ask death, where is your sting? May we be led to worship in this time. And if our time ever came, Lord, we pray that you would find us having faith in the unseen. In Jesus' name, amen.